Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you. Great to be with you. We're looking at uh, Matthew chapter 5. And if you want uh, sermon notes, they're back there. You don't, need, you don't have to have them. They're just strictly an, an option for you. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 5. We're looking at verse 43 uh, down through verse... Uh, we're going to read verse 43 down through verse 48, which is the sixth illustration that Jesus is using. And we've been spending some time trying to grasp the concept uh, that he is uh, revealing to us. And we are especially zeroing in today on verse 44, um, which is Jesus' words himself. Not they all are, but here he is giving his instruction. He tells us what they did, what they said in old days. Now he's saying, hey, here's what I'm telling you. Here's the new kingdom idea. Here's the new kingdom standard. Here's the new kingdom involvement that I want you to have. And he begins to give us this instruction. Depending on what translation, don't want you to be confused, depending on what translation you have, there is a section in my scriptures, which is the New King James uh, Version, which says, bless those who curse you and do good to those who uh, hate you. That is not there. So... Uh, it doesn't change anything, doesn't change the truth, doesn't change the concept. Just in the earliest manuscripts, and we've made phenomenal discoveries, even in my lifetime, uh, of the of original uh, uh, back, going back further. So we have manuscripts that go back further than we've ever gone back before. And maybe you don't understand that, I'm probably confusing you. King James, he, he, in, during his day in the 1600s, translated the scriptures, had the scriptures translated. They had the manuscripts that they used. Now, in the year 2020, we have gone back and found manuscripts, Dead Sea Scrolls, that stuff, which was back before manuscripts, before they, what they had. So we've got earlier manuscripts. So it doesn't change anything, uh, basically in truth, but according to the earliest manuscripts we have, which we want to be true to, that phrase isn't there. So it reads like this, verse 43, Jesus is speaking. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy, your enemies, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Let's bow in prayer. We have come, Jesus, together together as the body of Christ in this place for the purpose of you, of worshiping you, but for the purpose for you to, in that worship, stretch us, change us, and we're crying out to you today that you would not leave us where we are. Don't leave us in the state we're in. Don't leave us with the knowledge we have. Don't leave us with the same relationship we had with you when we came in. We pray for 
depth. We pray for deepness. We pray for an embracing. We pray for a removal of all things in our lives that would not be a part of what you want. We pray for a change in our thought process. We pray for a change in the way we see things. We pray for the, a change in our appetites of what we desire and what we really want in our lives. We, we pray for your heart and your mind to somehow enter into us and bring us into the intimacy and desires that you have, you want, where you are. Now, the world is beat on us, God, and any doubt about that. And we're bombarded by all kinds of ideas and thought process out there. We come today to clear our minds and to focus on you and to be back where you want us to be and to be the kind of people you've dreamed we could be. Make us redemptive people, we pray thee. And you know, oh Lord, every one of us in our circumstance and, and our involvements and our family and our cares and our hurts and, and, and you have a destiny for us. You have a plan and and unfold that plan because we, we want to fit in. We, we want to be what you want us to be. So we crave you today. We honor you today. We worship you today. We bring ourselves under your influence today. Oh, what a Jesus you are. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you're going to comprehend God you're going to have to comprehend love. And the opposite is true as well. If you're going to comprehend love, you're going to have to comprehend God because there is no love outside of God. Uh, the comprehension of who God is is bigger than what we know. And of course, we all know that we will never comprehend God because he's beyond our thought process and always will be. And if you spend all your time in eternity going after God, you will never sufficiently investigate the entirety of him because he's way beyond anything you can imagine. I got that. But that doesn't mean we don't know something. And while we may not know everything, we certainly do know something. And what we do know is that the throbbing essence of who he is is love. Love in its essence, love in its rightness, love uh, not in terms of sensual, not in terms of tickles up and down your spine, not in terms of how you feel, not in those terms, but he has his own category of love. In fact, we discovered a few Sundays ago that it is so dynamic, his love, that we had to get another word for it. We couldn't name it with all the other kinds of loves we have. And you realize that in the English language, we're really thin because we talk about loving our dog the same way we talk about loving our wives, which is, and pizza, and cars, which tells you how thin the thing really is. So when you talk about God is love, we're not talking about the way you love your car and we're not talking about the way you love pizza. We're not talking about, oh yeah, it just kind of makes me feel good. We're not talking about that kind of stuff. We're talking about agape love, which is selfless, self-sacrificing, self-giving. We're talking about a love that says, I'm never going to think about myself. I'm always going to think about you. We're talking about a love that says, hey, I'm just going to pour myself out for you and there'll be no barriers to it. Uh, we're talking about a love that says uh, this love is not going to be dependent upon you and what you do. It's going to be dependent upon me and who I am. So love is the state of God's existence in other words, love is not something he does, although he does do love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So love demands action. We, we're, we have no problem with that. But you could have action without the love. 
But love demands action. But if you could fake it and have the action, you still wouldn't have the love. Because love is an inner state. It's a fiber of his being. It's what makes him up. It's the essence of who he is. And if you're going to comprehend what, who God is, you're going to have to comprehend not just what he does in terms of creation and the greatness around us. You're going to have to get into the love essence of his being. God is love. Love is God. This is not an attribute that he has. He has attributes. For instance, he's omnipresent, he's omnipotent, he's, uh, he's all-knowing, omniscient. This is not one more characteristic of God. This is not in a list of nice things that God is. This is somehow that which he is at the core of his system, which reaches out and grabs a hold of everything he has and masters it. Do you know why God doesn't smash you into a thousand pieces? Because he's controlled by his love. And his love, who he is, is so strong, it reaches out and controls everything he knows and everything he, uh, everything he does is under the influence and the control of this passionate, burning love that it is at his very system. So it's interesting in the passage that Jesus presents the idea of love. In fact, love is the explanation of the Trinity. The Trinity, you understand in the Old Testament, every time the word God shows up, it's the Greek word or the Hebrew word Elohim, and it's always plural every time. In fact, you've read the Genesis account. Let us make man who's this us stuff. Well, God is talking to himself. See, it's plural. You get that all the way through the Old Testament. And it isn't too clear in the Old Testament exactly what this us is all about. But when you come into the New Testament, it just begins to explode into the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you come up with this beautiful pattern, this beautiful togetherness, this beautiful, beautiful intimacy between three individuals. And if you say you believe in three gods, we'll laugh you out of town. We don't believe in three gods. We believe in one God, but the one God is three and the three are one. And how could that possibly be? Because of his nature. The nature of each one of these persons is perfect, absolute, no barrier, uncompromising love. And that love is so integrated within them that they have literally come together in a welding process that has brought them into a oneness. So they act as one, they think as one, they are one, not three. Why? Because of this, this love. God is love. Bible also says other things about God. By the way, that was 1 John 4, 8 and 16. The Bible also says other things about God. God is holy. Well, now God is not two things. He's one thing. So if he's love and he's holy, evidently they're the same thing. Which changes your whole concept about holiness. Changes the whole concept about holiness. So I don't know how, how you, you know, what, where you've been, what you've thought. 
and what you've been taught. But see, some of us were raised in a legalistic environment which gave us the idea that a holiness was don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, and do that, do that, do that, and I'm watching you. So holiness was an activity of what you didn't do and what you did do, and if you lined up to that standard, you were holy. But it's interesting that telephone poles are good, but they're dead. And I don't know how that relates to you at all. But you could be good and still be dead. So obviously holiness is not the list of rules because God is holy. Well, if God is love and he can't be two things, then holiness and love are the same thing. So Wesley called Holiness, perfect love. Wow. Perfect love. So this love thing, I know your masculinity kind of grinds under it. But listen, it's not a namby-pamby thing. It's not a, this, this love that we're talking about God is, is tough, big, huge, consuming, demanding, dynamic, all of those words are somehow contained within this who God is. Who God is. So God comes along, and here's the concept. Here's one part of the concept. God comes along and says, Hey, I am love, and I want you in on it. The Trinity God never invited you to become all-powerful as he is. To know everything he knows. Never invited you into his knowledge. Never invited you to be omnipresent. But ladies and gentlemen, he has cracked himself open and said, come on into who I am. It's one thing to give you what he has. It's another thing to give you who he is. Which is what I want from my wife. I don't want all her money. She's independently wealthy, remember. I want her. God has done that. Woo! He has cracked himself open and said, Hey, don't seek this stuff that I have. Seek who I am, which is his nature. And then what would you seek if you sought that? You would seek love because God is love. In fact, as you look at the passage, he says, You should love your enemy. Look at verse 44. But I say to you, love your enemies Pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you. That, here's the purpose of it. Here's why you should do that. Here's the undercurrent of that. Here's the result of that. This is what this causes. If you are contained, if you are sucked into, if you are brought into this kind of love, you know what the result of that will be? You will be a son of your father in heaven. I can hardly wait to get to, get to that section with you. Because that's the result. In other words, his DNA is going to be my DNA. His thought process is going to be mine. Oh, his heart's going to be mine. I'm going to feel like he feels. Why? I'm a son. Why am I a son? Because he's brought me into his nature. What's his nature? Love. So I become an expression of that. In fact, he goes and describes it. Do you see that in the passage? Look at verse 45. He describes it in the passage. He says, let's take the most basic, fundamental, physical activity 
that you deal with all the time, weather. God, how is God love? I can tell, give you an expression of it. He makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. I wouldn't do that. Would you? I would say, hey, all my enemies, no sunshine for you. It won't be 60 for you today. It'll be minus 25. Freeze, boy, freeze. Come on. But see, his love, you got to get this, his love is not deter determined by them. It's determined by him and who he is. Nothing you have ever done will be good enough to make God love you. Therefore, nothing you will ever do will be bad enough to make him not love you. Because this isn't about you. This is about him. And his love is not determined by you and your activity. His love is... Have you ever experienced anything like that in your whole life? No. Because every relationship I've had has always been, de been determined by how I act. And if I don't act proper, the walls go up. I don't like you anymore. See, that's boundary language. And we'll get into that in a minute. That you, if you're within the boundary of my love, if, and if you love me back and you're within the boundary, fine. But if you step out of the boundary of loving me, I don't love you. But see, he's not that way. Come on, he's not that way. I'm telling you, he's not. Look at me. I'm telling you, he's not that way. He's not that way. Let me give it to you again. Nothing you have ever done will be good enough to make God love you. Nothing you will ever do will be bad enough to make him not love you. Because <laughs> just, just plain flat isn't about you. <laughs> it's about him and he can't help himself. <laughs> he loves you. Why? Because of who he is. Well, maybe tomorrow he won't. If God changes on his insides... But he's never changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The scripture says. Therefore, he isn't going to love you today and hate you tomorrow. He doesn't. Oh, he's not like you. He doesn't have a bad day. He doesn't have a bad hair day. He's just plain, flat love. Beautiful concept. Essence of the scriptures. And he says, we are to be sons. We're to be like that. Now, obviously, that's impossible. You're right. I can't meet that standard. Absolutely. I can't love everybody. I just, I know. Some people make me, I got it. I can't, they just turn me off. I just look at you and don't like you. I know. I know. I can't help the way I feel. You're right. You're exactly right. 
which is the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount. Come on, we've said this a dozen times. It proves his point. What's his point? Where I'm taking you, Old Testament, hey, was a school teacher. The law structure, law number one, law number two, Ten Commandments, what were they? School teacher, crack the whip, shape up. I can't, I'm trying, I'm working on it, I'm doing my best. That was the Old Testament law structure. And what did it teach us? I can't pull this off. I can't pull it off. I can pull some of it off some of the time, but not all of it all the time. So what did the law teach us? I can't do it. I'm going to take you from where you can't do it into a realm where you really can't do it. <laughs> I mean, if you thought you ever had a chance at this, let me take you where, hey, you don't have a chance at all. It's impossible. Well, if it's impossible, how am I going to do it? Well, you're not. And he presents this idea of you embracing your helplessness. You admitting you can't. Don't come to an altar of prayer and get up and say, well, I'll try harder. You just killed the thing. Because that's back to focusing on you and I'm going to work on it and get it done. And you're not. You're not going to get it done. You cannot get it done. So this is embracing my helplessness that what might happen? He would come and literally merge. And again, we've been using merger language to try to somehow get a hold of the idea that this is not him touching us. This is not him visiting us. This is not him uh, just uh, helping us. This is not him counseling us. This is not him giving us instruction. This is not him coming along saying, hey, I'll guide you. This is him literally infusing, integrating into you until the living person called God, think about this, the living person called God actually moves through the pores of your skin and gets inside your very being and begins to join you in your heart, mind, thinking, feeling, emotional makeup, and you and him literally begin, and he gives you his nature. Well, what's his nature? Love. Which means everything that wasn't possible becomes possible. Not because you become God. No, you're helpless. So how could you become God? But because he has literally come and filled you with himself. And not filled you as a coffee cup has coffee in it. Not that kind of filling. But filling you like a sponge where he literally soaks your life. And you and him begin to function and begin to operate together. See, that, that's, that's the passage. That's your destiny. That's what he wants for you. That the beat 
of his heart is that somehow you and him would get together. Well, I'll go to church. Well, please come to church. Please come to church. Please come to church. But that's not what he wants. You could come to church and not have this. Come on, you, you know all this. Well, I, read the Bible. Yes, read the Bible. Read the Bible. But come on, you could read the Bible and not have this. Well, go to McDonald's, but you're not a hamburger, even though you go to McDonald's. So you just, do you get it? So it's, it's this merging. It's this coming together. It's you and him becoming not just best friends, although, yeah, sons, daughters, until you walk like him and you talk like him. And you look at yourself and say, how am I doing this? <laughs> That's this. Now, it's interesting in this sixth illustration and the concept we want to work on today. In the sixth illustration, he says, here's what was, you've heard from old. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say, love your enemies and pray. Now, in this illustration, there's six illustrations altogether. There's the murder illustration, which was a physical thing. The old-timer said, don't kill people. Okay. Second illustration is the morality thing. The old-timer said, don't commit adultery. Okay, that's a physical activity. The marriage thing, third illustration, was about what? Well, hey, how can I get rid of her? That's a physical thing. That's a physical thing. The fourth illustration is about what? Taking an oath. Put your hand on the Bible. Swear by God. Tell the truth. Old truth. Nothing but the truth. Help you God. Amen. Lightning strike me dead if I don't tell the truth. Okay. But that's a physical thing. The fifth illustration was what? Eye for an eye. Tooth. That's a physical thing. But this is not a physical thing. And in the sixth illustration, he shifts from all of this physical stuff to this intimacy of heart motive of what you are inside, of how you feel inside, of what you want inside, of what your appetite, we've been talking about it in terms of appetite, what you hunger for, what you desire. So Christianity in its essence is about what burns in your bones. If you had a wish list, all stripped down to one single wish, what would it be? If you had one cry, one chance, one, if you came to the genie, rubbed the bottle, the genie appeared, whoo! That's motive, inside stuff. Have you got sense enough to say, oh, I want a new car! When in 50 years, that thing won't be worth spit. Have you got sense enough to go over the top of that and let the desire and the passion of your inner being be for something that's going to last forever? What would that be? Love, which God is. Love, which God is. Love, 
which God is. Now, here's the concept. He says, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Isn't it interesting that he links love and prayer? In fact, isn't it interesting that he takes love your enemies, pray for those who spitefully use you, the spitefully use you, an enemy, you would say we're the same. So could I declare to you, love and pray are the same. So start with this, number one. Prayer defined. Maybe we haven't defined prayer right. Maybe what you think about prayer isn't prayer at all. Maybe we've been doing a lot of praying and have never prayed. Wouldn't that be awful? Wouldn't that be awful? Wouldn't it be awful if all this time what I thought was prayer is not prayer? At all. Prayer is, if you go to, uh, don't go there, but sometime if you want to turn to 1 Timothy 2.1, all the Greek words for prayer that are relate to prayer are in that one verse. Supplication, intercession, uh, requesting, uh, giving thanks, they're all in, all of it's in there. And they all have to do with prayer. This word that he uses here is in prayer. This word that he uses here for prayer is a, is a, is a, what would you call it? A general term that just reaches out and grabs hold of all aspects of whatever prayer might be and just pulls it together. It's a devotional word. It starts with a prefix pro, which means toward, and then the basic word to wish, toward to wish. So it has to do with insides, it has to do with what you desire, and it has to do with pouring that out to someone else. And it's a general term, and again, it's a devotional term, which is really, really interesting to me. For instance, think about this. Uh, if you take this word for prayer, and you search through the Gospels, for instance, where it's used, uh, one of the big places where it's used is Jesus. Jesus is in the temple. Uh, and they had a court. They had a, uh, they, uh, an outer porch, which is, was called the court of the Gentiles. And this outer court was not like, uh, not like a little porch. It, was, uh, it went all four sides of the temple. So it was huge. And they had filled this court of the Gentiles with all the stuff that they sold to the people for offering sacrifices. For instance, you had to have salt. So, I had barrels of salt in this porch. They had oil. You had to have oil. You had to have doves. They had cages of doves. Had to have lambs. So, they had a whole section of lambs. They had to have, uh, uh, they had to have uh, candles. They had to have uh, uh, lights. They had, uh, they had all this stuff filling this court of the Gentiles. They sold it. In other words, you would come in on Sunday morning or whatever, and you would come in and you would buy this stuff to go do your worship. So they sold and made 
And of course it was high priced because it's a church and you ought to make a donation anyhow. So, and on top of that, you couldn't use street money. No, no, no. Filthy street money. No, no, no. Not in the temple. So they had their own sacred money, which meant you had to have money changers. So they had tables where they had secular money and they had uh, temple money. And you would come and lay down your dollar and you'd get 50 cents on the dollar or whatever. So you lost on that. But it's the church and you want to make a donation anyhow. Jesus came in. Get this picture. Jesus came in and started in one edge of the porch, went right down, made the turn, made the turn, made the turn. He went and took stands and broke boards over his knee. Think of this. He is turning, uh, he is turning sheep loose in the, in the court, in the temple. He's uh, turning doves loose. You know what doves do. <laughs> Never mind. So here, I mean, this place, is, he's tipped tables upside down. Money's jingling all over the floor. He has literally dumped over barrels of salt. Oil is spilled out everywhere. He made, this is not a slap on the wrist. This is when Jesus got done and they didn't touch him. He walked through this court. Man tore things up. Everything's in a shambles. All, I mean, messed it up big time. And then stood up and said, hey, I'll explain to you why I did this. I'm not mad. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'll explain to you why I did it. I didn't lose my temper. It's not why I did it. You know why I did it? You have made God's house a den of thieves. And I won't have it. This is a house of whatever this word is, prayer. Now, I'm just so grateful I wasn't there. Because I'd have been there, I'd go up to Jesus and say, now, whoa, Jesus, this is not a house of prayer. This is a temple. We do lots of things in here besides pray. For instance, we sing. That's not prayer. We take up offerings. That's not prayer. We read the scriptures. That's not prayer. See, obviously, Jesus, you don't know what prayer is. Technically, prayer is on your knees. And it's most effectively done at 3 o'clock in the morning. In the kitchen with a metal chair. Yelling at the top of your lungs, beating that metal chair so the whole family knows you're praying for them. See, that's prayer. And if you come along and say, we're not going to do anything in this temple outside of banging a metal chair, screaming at the top of our lungs. We would shut down all the sacrifices, shut down all the candlelighting, shut down all the worship, shut down all the singing, shut down. How could that be? Maybe you don't know what prayer is. Wouldn't it be something if singing was prayer? Well, how could that be? Oh, maybe you've never experienced it. I invite you into worship in singing. I invite you that when we sing these songs to not just, I don't know that tune, not do that. I invite you to look at the words and think about the words and let them do something inside of you that begins to just Worship is meant 
majesty. Wow, you are. What would you call that? Prayer. It's a communication that... Right? So the essence of what singing is to be is not just... The essence of singing is to be prayer, intimacy, relational. I take my money, I put it in an offering plate. What's that? Prayer! Nah, that's the preacher wanting my money. No, it's not. Because we don't want your money. It's a, it's, a, it's a physical gesture of what's going on inside of me that says, oh, I just, I love you, Jesus. I just. It's prayer. What do you think we're doing right now? of what preaching is supposed to be is that God is moving in this place and he's saying to you things he is saying stuff to you that I wouldn't dare say and I would know anyway because he knows all your secrets I don't it's prayer we've been talking on Friday night in the class about this practicing his presence which is about what? It's about being so intimate with Jesus that you develop a God awareness. And in this God awareness, you in, you, he begins to participate in everything you do. So every problem you have, he's in the middle of it. Hey, you, you eat green beans with him. You, you play basketball with him. You, you, you fix cars with him. You, you drive with him. Uh, there's an intimacy. So you are doing what the Apostle Paul talked about, which is pray without ceasing. So you're living in this. Well, you know what that sounds like. That sounds like being merged with him where he's literally living within you and spilling love out of you. (laughs) So could it be that prayer and love... It's the same thing. Now, there's no question at all that he goes from prayer defined then in, in the concept. He goes from prayer defined to prayer demonstrated, which is, again, boundary language. So he sets up this, this boundary language stuff, which is really a key to the concept in the passage. For he says, love your enemies. Pray. And if they're the same, for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your father. And then he gives this sun rises on the, he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good. Then he says this in verse 45, for if you love those who love you, what's that? Boundary language. Who do I love? People who love me. I set up boundaries. Here's my boundary. What's the boundary? You love me, I love you. You don't love me, I don't love you. It's the boundary. You step out of loving me and hey, I don't love you anymore because you're within, you're outside the boundary of my love. 
Now he does the same thing in the next statement. If you greet the, your brethren only, hey, yeah, I speak to people who speak to me. You don't speak to me, I'm not speaking to you. Which does what? Sets up a boundary. Within the boundary of people, I will talk to people who talk to me. I will speak to people, greet people who greet me. It's a boundary. I set up the boundary. Go outside that boundary, hey, you're out. How many people are outside your boundary? Jesus says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to love your enemy. Well, they're not in my boundary. Okay, so I want you to take your boundary and I want you to expand your boundary to include your enemy. Now think about this. If I include my enemy, who would be the guy who's beyond the boundary of being my enemy? Oh, that's right. Nobody. Because that's the worst. That's, that's the limit. That's the, that goes as far as it can go. So what is he saying? <laughs> He's saying, I want you to expand your boundary to include everyone. going to feel about my best friend I'm going to feel about my enemy the way I feel about my no 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 I'm going to feel about the guy who persecutes me about the guy who spitefully uses me about the guy who insults me about the guy who I'm going to feel about him the same way I feel about my closest no well then you're not a son of your father well manly that's impossible I know you're right you're right I know our time's getting away, but I got all of these illustrates. See, this is not philosophical. I'll, let me philosophize about it a little bit. We're not talking theological. We are talking so practically, practical in all of this. And there's all these illustrations. Because Jesus takes this thing of removing the boundaries, of enlarging the boundaries and bringing everybody in and literally loving praying So what he's talking about in the, in the concept is, I'm supposed to pray for my enemy. Oh, God, don't let him live long. <laughs> well, I'm doing what Jesus said. I don't think so. I really don't think so. See, I really don't think so. Oh, God, give him a wart on the end of his nose. God, give him shingles. God, give him cancer. I don't think that's... He's not even talking about praying nice things about him. God, bless his business. I don't think he's talking that. See, I think he's talking about this, this inside thing, this, this 
if prayer and, and love and prayer are, are connected, he's talking about this inside feeling, this inside awareness, this inside... He's talking about the heart of God that lets it rain on the just. and un- He's talking about that kind of stuff. So let me just give you, uh, first, first Corinthians 13 is the love chapter. Oh, it's just full of it, man. Just talks about love, describes it. In verse 1, he talks about speaking with the tongues of men and angels, and you're eloquent in your speech, and you just silver-tongued order, and you just, and if you can do that, he says, it's not worth anything if it doesn't have this, 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 this love factor. In the next verse, he talks about understanding wisdom and knowledge and mysteries, understanding mysteries. And you've got it all figured out, man. You, can, you understand science and how it comes together. And you can, you're just smart. You can, if you have all of that and don't have this, 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 you don't have anything. You have absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. If you have compassionate ministry and you spill your life out in buying food and housing and you do all of that and you don't have this. And you could just go on with the list. It would fill more than a chapter if you would just list everything that you think of a value of if I can have that, if I can have this, and you don't have this, this, this. That's really practical, isn't it? That's really practical. Matthew was a tax collector. And uh, as a tax collector in his day, he was a Jew who collected taxes from the Jews. But in order to do that, he had to link with Rome where the taxes went. And the way he got the position was he had to pay a bribe. He had to buy it. So what Matthew did is Matthew outbid everybody else, paid a bigger bribe than anybody else, got the right to collect taxes from the Jews and give it to Rome. Why would he want that job? Because Rome came along and said, I want $5 from every head, every Jew. Then Matthew had the right to come and say, hey, I'm going to charge 10. I'll pocket five, give five to Rome. He could set the price himself. So he betrayed his own people. They ate their... That's why Jesus keeps talking about tax collectors. Don't even the tax... Because if you were going to talk about a sinner in their day, what would be the sinner? A prostitute or tax collector? Which was also called a publican. Or was it republican? Not sure. But <laughs> that was a joke. So what you got is, you got this tax collector thing. I mean, which is the worst of the worst. The awful of the awful. The terrible of the terrible. I mean, they're bottom line stuff. You know what Jesus does? Everybody walks on the other side of the street. 
for the tax collector. In fact, they won't even look at him because he's despised. You know what Jesus does? He doesn't walk on the other side of the street. He stomps right up to his table. <laughs> Looks the old boy right in the eye and doesn't ball him out. You know what he does? Hey, son! Come on. I want you in my boundary. I want you to come and be a part of my group. I want you in. Now, was he praying as he did that? <laughs> was he loving as he did that? Was he in tune with the Father as he did that? Was this the heart? Of, and do you know what happened? The old boy joined the group. <laughs> and we're reading his book 2,000 years later as he wrote about it. <laughs> oh, there's several aspects to that. One is he's done that for you. <laughs> He came up to your table. You rotten person, you. He came up to your table. Amen, amen. We won't even look at you. But he came to your table. Yeah. Said, I want you in. I want you in my group. Yeah. I want you in my group. Come on. Yeah. I want you in my group. I want you in my group, man. And everything that's within me is pulling for you to be in my group. All the love and all the prayer and all the, all that mesh together, all the, I'm just, oh, I just, my insides just, oh, I, gotta, oh, I want you in my group. I want you in my group. I want to have you in my group. Do you know night and day I say, I got to have you in my group? Do you know every time I think about you, which is all the time, I, I, it's about, I want you in my group. I, I want, in fact, it isn't, I just want you in my group. I want you to be a son. <laughs> I, I want you. I want you in my group. That's one aspect of it. You know another aspect of it is? Matthew then began to... See, I'm... See, I can become... Do you understand? You can become the extension of that. Do you know how clickish we are? How locked off? I don't have the time of day for you. Why? You're not in my... I said, come on, man. Well, man, I, I, I can't help the way I feel. It's the way I was raised, okay? Just the way I am, all right. It's fine. You're proving his point. You're helpless, aren't you? <laughs> you can't love. You can't, you don't even, you, you're not, wow. I can't even, I don't even know what the word means. 
But do you suppose I could open up my life and say, Jesus, I don't, I, I don't, I can't get this, this, nope, nope, nope. And he could come and literally fill me. And my life could take on dimensions that I have. <laughs> my stupidity could take on the, the wisdom of the mind of God. Whew. And my, my limited, you're not in my group, could become... I want you in my group. <laughs> oh, Jesus. The, it, 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 the only way this could happen would be for you to radically, radically invade, radically change. You'd have to You'd have to fill, you'd have to alter, you'd have to. Will I let you do that? Jesus, all my excuses for why this couldn't take place in my life suddenly go out the window when it's all back to, would I let you walk up to my table and pull me into your group? Would, would you, Jesus, and hey, I'm not telling you what to do, but would you, Jesus, this very moment, make it as if nobody is here, but just each one of us as an individual, and you literally are focused on us, wanting us in your group. You're choosing us. You're calling us. You got to have us. Night and day you've been dreaming about it. 2,000 years ago you planned on it. You provided for it. And how you've been counting off the days. And you've been waiting for the hour that we would show up in this place on this Sunday morning. You've been aching before the Father, praying, spilling out your love, wanting, desiring. You want us in your group. Heads are bowed. <sighs> hey, no pressure. But he's standing at your table. He wants you. And the whole thing boils down to will you be his? Would you be his? Would you just be his? Would you, would you just let him do in you what he wants to do? Would you? 
Not, well, what, what do I need to do for him? No, forget that. Just, would you let him do something in you? Would you just embrace your helplessness, stand before him, kneel before him, be before him, and allow him to pull you into his group? Jesus, I'm so grateful you banged on my door. It's not nosed kid that didn't have a chance. You banged on my door. There were so many groups I tried to get in. I tried to get into those groups. But the boundaries were too high. They just wouldn't let me in. But you let me in. You broke down all the walls. You removed all the barriers. And you pulled me into your heart. Take me, pull me in deeper than ever before. Engulf me with who you are in greater ways than anything I've ever experienced. And oh God, let me be a demonstration of that. Don't let there be anybody who feels like they're out of my group. I plant myself before you this morning for a deep, deep, deep invasion of your presence. Bless those who join me.